Welcome to Risen Church. I am excited to uh, continue in our Advent series. I hope you guys had uh, um, a great week. Anybody there for the Christmas party this week? Anybody there? Yeah? Um, I had a great time. I am, uh, again, excited to continue through our series. We are um, one week away from Christmas. Oh, come on. What was that? Some of you are like, man, i got to get some presents. Um, Seven days away. So we began our uh, series four weeks ago, and we started with lighting the candle of hope, and then we moved on to lighting the candle of peace. Last week, we lit the candle of joy, and this week, we are lighting the candle of God's faithfulness. And so uh, we're going to continue in our series, and we're going to focus in on God's faithfulness. Now, um, when we talk about God's faithfulness. So some of you may have a, maybe you grew up around church like I did. Maybe you kind of grew up in a church where, uh, you know, the candle was actually the candle of faith. And I love that. That's great. I grew up around that as well. But I would like to emphasize that it's not just about our faith. In fact, our faith is ultimately a response to God's faithfulness. And so that's one of the things that we want to highlight here. Um, And so even as we go forward, also before we dive in here, I want to reiterate uh, some of the reminders about what we're doing uh, in this season. So on Sunday, as uh, Dave mentioned, we're not going to be gathering together here on Christmas morning, but we are going to be sending out an encouragement to you, for you, and your families, um, and friends, and just whatever, whatever season you're in, just a reminder on Christmas morning of what that Christmas morning is all about. And then the following week will be January 1st, New Year's. And so we're going to be gathering together right here, um, a whole church gathering together, one service, 11 a.m. So I want to reiterate, reemphasize that, 11 a.m. Uh, we're going to ring in the New Year together so you can sleep in, do your New Year's Eve thing, and then we'll gather together at 11 a.m. So again, There's a lot of different ways that people celebrate Advent. The word Advent means appearing. And so a lot of different traditions and a lot of different experiences people have during Christmas. Sometimes people celebrate Advent with candles. Sometimes people don't. Sometimes people just use wreaths. Sometimes use wreaths and candles and things like um, the evergreen. It it, it symbolizes things and the pine cones and the nuts and all these different things. And the, the reality is that All of these traditions are often very good because of who they point us to. Not simply because of the tradition in and of itself. A lot of times we can get stuck on traditions and forget about what the traditions are pointing us to. Amen? And so the purpose of the tradition is about Jesus Christ. And so, again, I grew up around a church that even though I didn't believe... My my voice is going to kick in here any moment. Um, But even though I didn't believe until much later in my life, I remember counting down the days of Christmas, and I remember them lighting those candles, and one of the candles they lit was faith. And so this morning, though, I don't want to just emphasize your faith. I want to emphasize what our faith is responding to, which is his faithfulness, God's faithfulness faithfulness, the faithfulness of God, because faith in him is ultimately ignited by his faithfulness to us. And so that's what we're going to hone in on this morning, is the faithfulness of God in your life. And so this is a relevant message, whether you're a Christian or not. 
So even if you don't believe in God and you're here, praise God you're here. I hope you feel welcome. But my prayer is that you wouldn't leave here this morning without having a very real revelation of how faithful God has been to you throughout your life. Now, some of you may be thinking, man, you you don't know my story. Like, you don't know what I've been through. My life's actually been really hard in ways that you could never really understand. And I agree. You're right. I probably can't. I I, I don't pretend to. I, I don't pretend to know what's going on in your life or what you've experienced. And nobody really can, except one. There is one who knows exactly what you've been through. He knows exactly your story. He even understands it better than you. His name is Jesus. Now you might say, you know, I tried Jesus, and he didn't work for me. You ever heard that before? Maybe you've thought that. Well, the reason Jesus didn't work for you is because he doesn't work for you. Because he's not your employee. Right? He's the king of eternity. He, he's the faithful and magnificent king. He's a faithful and loving, even, bridegroom. And so this morning, whether you've been walking with Jesus your whole life or whether you're a new believer, or even if you're not sure where you are with Jesus or who he is, I want to let this passage in the Holy Spirit speak deep, just spark even this deep revelation in our souls for just how faithful and good God is and has been to you. The truth is that the fact that you're here this morning, or if you're listening online, If there's breath in your lungs, that means that God has been extremely good and extremely faithful to you. So our passage this morning comes from Luke 2, verse 22 through 38. And it takes place not long after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And his parents, they then travel to nearby Jerusalem. So there in this temple, in the temple... Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are met by these two people, these two characters who become this, this beacon to all around them of the faithfulness of God. And it's all in response to the promised child. And so here's what I want you to get this morning. If you get nothing else, here's what I want you to get. God's faithfulness to you is embodied in Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness to you is embodied in Jesus Christ. Not your circumstances. Not whether you are where you thought you would be at this point in your life. It's embodied in Jesus Christ. So I want to behold him this morning and his word, okay? And so, again, 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God, say all, All the promises of God find their yes in him. But the true revelation of God's faithfulness to you in Christ doesn't happen simply because somebody explained who he is to you. It's not going to come just because I preached a sermon about it. It does start there, okay, But ultimately, this is something you've got to experience. You've got to get a revelation of this. 
But once you've experienced his faithfulness to you in Christ, then you can become a beacon of his faithfulness to other people. And that's what we see in this passage. But again, that all starts with a revelation of his faithfulness to you in Christ. So as we walk through this passage, I want to let the Spirit of God open our eyes to his faithfulness by looking at four things that I think this passage tells us about God's faithfulness in Christ. Okay, number one, God is faithful to provide. Number two, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Number three, God is faithful even through the dark night of the soul. Number four, God is faithful to be all we need and more. All right, so let's kick it off. Number one. God is faithful to provide. Look at verse 22. Luke 2, verse 22. I'm going to read through verse 24. It says this. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. So remember, God always has a very good reason for every one of his commandments. That's true. We don't always understand it. Like sometimes it's like, that that doesn't even make any sense. Why are we we talking about pigeons? Like, what's the point of a pigeon here? Maybe, why two pigeons or turtle doves? Like, what's going on here? But it's important to understand the why behind the what. I I, I do believe that it is important to understand the why behind the what for God's commandments. But just because you don't understand yet why God tells us to do certain things, that's not an excuse to not do those things. And I'm going to explain why here. This is very important. This is important for your kids, and this is important for you as children of God. Okay? And so I, I tell my kids this all the time right? Listen and obey. I find myself repeating this constantly. Listen and obey first and ask questions later. Listen and obey first and then ask questions later. The questions aren't bad. The questions are good because you get the heart of it. You get the why behind the what. That's important. But by doing so, by listening and obeying first and asking questions later, they're learning to trust daddy and not just their own limited perspectives, right? Like if my four-year-old's playing with a ball in our front yard and the ball bounces out into the street and there's a big truck barreling down the road at her and I can see it, but she's only fixated on the ball that she wants, right? And And I yell out, stop, right? My daughter, because she... she knows my voice and she knows daddy's voice holds weight with her, she stops. Like even though she doesn't know why she's stopping right away, she stops. She trusts her daddy, right? But what if she were to keep running? Like, what if she were to just be like, why should I stop, daddy? It's my ball. I love my ball. And she runs out into the road because she doesn't see the truck. She's dead. And so I'm seeing, I'm seeing a big picture. And I want her to see the big picture too, but I want her to live long enough to be able to see the big picture. And so part of what we're seeing here in this passage is that Mary and Joseph are trusting in what God has commanded. 
Even though they don't fully understand the full significance about what's going on, they may actually think they do have the full significance. They may think they do know what's going on totally. But we know from the other side of it, there's a lot more going on. In fact, in Leviticus 12, God commanded each Israelite family to dedicate their firstborn to God by means of an offering. And that's what they're doing here. It was a way of remembering how God had rescued Israel from Egypt by sparing the lives of all their firstborn sons by putting the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. This is what they're celebrating when they celebrate the Passover, the Passover meal. They're they're remembering what God did for them, and they're commemorating it even with every firstborn son that opens the womb. And so when the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, he passed over their houses and spared their sons. And so when they gave birth to their firstborn son, they were commanded to travel to Jerusalem, to go into the temple, and to offer a lamb to commemorate the Passover. And so we're told here that Mary and Joseph offered two pigeons, two two turtle doves, two pigeons, instead of a lamb. So this is one way, actually, that we know that Jesus was born into a very poor family. Like there was this provision in the law that those who could not offer um, a lamb or afford an actual lamb, they could offer two turtle doves instead if they couldn't afford it. Now I want you to think about this. For a provider like Joseph, okay, Joseph was a man's man. I mean, he was a carpenter. He was a guy that had it mapped out. If you remember the story, right, like he's going to provide for his wife and his family. He's going to make sure that he has enough money to afford getting the lamb and making the journey and doing all the things. But there was a a, a bunch of hiccups in his plan, right? And so for a man who truly loves God, to only be able to provide two turtle doves, this would have been rough. Right, like think about it. it. It's a good and godly thing to want to provide and so I think that for Joseph, I, I think this would have been a hard thing. Like it may have felt like God hadn't provided for them. So much had taken place so unexpectedly. And, and again, maybe Joseph had, hadn't had time to save up. Who knows what's really going on. And, and, but it, it may have been even a bit embarrassing to bring two turtle doves to the altar. Right? He's just starting his family. He's like, oh, I got a turtle doves. Like maybe the person in front of him is bringing this like really valuable, unblemished lamb you know, and he provides it, and Joseph's like, this is all I got. I can't even afford a lamb. But I want you to see that their felt lack didn't stop them. Like, they were faithful to give what the Lord had provided, okay? And so although it seemed like they had no lamb to offer, pay attention. When you peel back the spiritual veil here, The deeper truth is that God was faithful to provide and was actually providing the most valuable lamb of all. See, the lamb that all other lambs were pointing to, the lamb of God himself, was there with them, Jesus Christ. And they'd been invited into this. See, this is the gospel. Jesus, there's so much significance to this. Jesus didn't need a lamb to be provided in his place. He was the lamb. He is the lamb. He's the lamb that every other sacrificial lamb in history was pointing to. 
And so God's hand was all over this. God's provision is all over this. God was being faithful. And he's invited Mary and Joseph into this story in a way that goes way beyond what they could have even fathomed. Because this is the gospel that God became a man and he lived the life that we could not live and he died the death we deserve to die, the death of a sacrificial lamb. And then he conquered death in the grave through the resurrection and he paved the way to an eternal life that doesn't just start one day when we die, but it starts the moment that we place our faith and our hope in Christ as our king, as our savior, and even our bridegroom. And he fills us from the inside out with his spirit. And he changes us. And he ignites our hearts for the things that he loves and for himself. And he reminds us that he is faithful. And so God is faithful to provide in Christ. Even when we don't fully see it. Even when we don't fully realize it. Even when it might not be in the way that we expected or even wanted in the moment. God's faithful to provide, and his provision is greater than anything that you could ask, think, or imagine, according to the power at work within you. There's something more happening. And so the first thing we see here about God's faithfulness in Christ is his faithfulness to provide. And again, that sparks faith, doesn't it? I hope it does. It does for me. Second thing that we see here is his faithfulness to fulfill his promises. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Every time I see that, I want to say Simon. Every time. It's actually Simeon. And this, was, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Say waiting. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So again, remember, times are rough. The Romans were in control. Many of the people in Israel had lost sight of God's promises. But not Simeon. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, if you look at Simeon's words here uh, in the Bible, I want you to notice something. If, you, if you've got your Bibles and you're looking at it, and uh, it, it, maybe, I don't know if we've got it on the screens this way, but if you look at your Bibles, what you're going to see is that the, 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 the structure of his words are a bit different than the rest of the story. They're kind of set apart. They're almost structured almost like it's a poem or something. In fact, what you'll see is that it's structured a lot like the Psalms, which are songs. And we see this throughout Scripture. When people just burst out into singing, it's structured like this. So Simeon here is not uh, likely just announcing this loudly. He's probably singing it. Right? So, so now I want you to imagine this. <laughs> imagine being Joseph and Mary here. Okay? Your new parents. 
in which all new parents are pretty protective over their children, right? Like, you know, when people love to come up to your kids and like, oh, he's so cute and stuff. I'm like, you washed your hands, right? Like, I'm not just passing my baby around, honestly. My, I, I, the third one, yes. Like, Selah, <laughs> love her. I don't love her any less, but I just kind of, you know, she's, we passed her around like a football. It was like, build that immune system, girl. You'll be all right. <laughs> but the first one, we were just kind of like every little detail, you know, you just kind of helicopter parents. Like, that's kind of, maybe that's just me. That's how we were with our firstborn. Um, and so what we see here though, is this strange man rolls up on this new baby and this new, these new parents in a crowded place. They snatch up your baby and he starts singing. I mean, like I envision like some Lion King stuff going on here, right? And, and it's like, okay, that's a little strange. I have a vague memory actually when I was uh, very, very small. I, I had to have been like three or four years old maybe um, and, and no older than four because I remember standing in line with my dad, a vague memory of standing in line in North Carolina at a place called Church's Chicken. Anybody heard of Church's Chicken? All right, I think they're still around, um, but we're in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina at a Church's Chicken. They got great chicken, but they're not exactly Chick-fil-A, right? Like this is like, the, like more like an early 80s uh, version of, of like Popeye's, okay? It's more like the atmosphere we're talking here, okay? So they got great chicken. Anyway, so I, I, I'm in my dad's arms. My, sis, my older sister's there with him. And this strange man who was apparently drunk or strung out or something, he kind of comes up while we're in line, and he starts going, oh, aren't you cute? You know, and he drunkenly sticks his nasty finger in my mouth. And my dad just decks him. In line. Right? Like, my, my, my dad, by the way, he's a man of action. Right? So, <laughs> um, so he just kind of decks him. And, and, and I don't remember all the details. A lot of this is like just my sister's filling in some of the blanks here. But apparently it was enough to get the guy to back off. And, but he didn't like get in a fight with him, you know. And also I, I remember, I'm thinking like, like he didn't even leave. Like if it were me, I'd be like, oh, it's time to go, kids. Right? He stays. He's like, we'll go get our chicken. <laughs> this is my dad, right? So um, now, now I realize that the temple in Jerusalem is a very different context than church's chicken in North Carolina, but like a different environment. But um, as a father myself, like the fact that Joseph and, and Mary let Simeon take Jesus up in his arms and start singing loud for all to hear is telling about how the Spirit of God was moving, right? And, and by the way, apparently Buddy the Elf was right. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is, in fact, to sing loud for all to hear, right? Like, it's biblical. All right. You know i got to do an elf reference. It's Christmas. Let's go. Okay. Um, so it, it, it's also important to remember here that it's the Spirit of God that's moving. It's the Spirit of God that shows Simeon who this baby is. Which, by the way, that's the only way any of us can see real revelation of who Jesus is at all. It's the Spirit of God. It's not just doing the stuff and going through the motions. It's leaning into what it's all about through the one that it's all about. It's the Spirit of God that draws our hearts unto Christ. 
Simeon had been waiting. He'd been praying expectantly, vigilantly for the consolation of Israel. We see that. That's why he was there that day. He was, he was holding on to God's promises. Like, who knows how long he'd waited? But he hadn't given up hope. Not because he had faith in himself, not because he had faith in a system, not because he had faith in the equation that he had worked out in his own mind about when it was happening, but because he was standing on the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promise. That's powerful. Now I can imagine Simeon here, I mean, just consumed with this expected future, right? Like, he's, he's not just living out of the past. Like, a lot of people, especially when you get older, the, more, the older you get, the more memories we have, and it's easy to live out of what used to be. But we see here a man who's awaiting an expected future. It's the joy of that future. It's Christ's coming that was on the forefront, forefront of his mind, Right? And so, I mean, like, you can just see him when he's waking up every day. Like, is this the day, Lord? Is this the day? Is this the day? His life would have been not only motivated by the expectation of this future joy and everything else would have paled in comparison. And so when Christ's appearing arrives, Simeon embraces this tiny yet glorious, his tiny yet glorious Savior, and then look at what he sings. And I, again, I think he's singing. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Again, we talked about how peace is the word for shalom. He, he, he's experienced wholeness, which is what shalom means. He's experienced wholeness. Why? Because he's experienced Jesus. Like the fulfillment of all God's promises, not just in what he would do for him. That's great. Not just who Jesus would be for him, but even simply being in his presence. Just in Christ himself. And then he says, so Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word or, or, or your promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So he's articulating a deep sense of revelation here. Like this is a tangible reception of all that God has hoped, that all has been hoped for, that all that he's been hoping for. It's a tangible reception of it all in Christ. So it doesn't mean that there won't be any difficulty. That's not what's going on here. Not at all. It doesn't mean that everything's great. Everything's going to be easy now. That's not at all what is going on here. But it, it does mean that he's holding the victory in Christ. This is a song of triumph. Says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, which are the non-Jewish people. These are the nations. The whole world. And for glory to your people Israel. So guys, this man has had a revelation of who Jesus was on a level that the apostles couldn't even fathom until like Acts 15. I want you to see this. Simeon's not just rejoicing over the consolation of Israel, he's rejoicing over the light for revelation to all peoples. 
This was hard for the apostles and even the disciples to understand. It took them 15 chapters in the book of Acts to get this. So Simeon's drawing on the promises that were made back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 right after the fall. He's drawing on the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and throughout the Old Testament to be a light to the nations, that they were blessed to be a blessing to the world around them. And so he's holding in his hands the very one that every single ritual and tradition was designed to point God's people to. The Savior has come. This baby, this baby is who it's all about. Like, how many people do you think kind of ignored him in that moment? Like, like, as he's, like, holding up Jesus, you know? And he's like, this! The consolation of Israel! And people are like, yeah, but have you seen my lamb? He's unblemished. It's awesome. Spent a lot of money on it. It's easy to miss the point, right? So notice it says here, it's just, it's talking, the Savior's come. Right, right. I, I want you to catch a revelation of his faithfulness to you in Christ, like at a heart and soul level. And like he says that, it says here that Simeon blesses God. <laughs> I love this. Simeon blesses, like we're so consumed with trying to be blessed by God. But the truth is the greatest blessing is the blessing to bless and the blessing to bless God. To bring delight to the Lord, to experience his smiling pleasure in the countenance of a loving father over you. And you know what blesses the heart of the father more than anything? Rejoicing in Jesus. That's what Simeon's doing here. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? So salvation has come, but that doesn't mean that there won't be any hardship. Does it mean it's all over? Again, people miss this so much. They think that life's supposed to be easy once they receive Jesus. But Simeon's celebration here is about to transition into a sobering and yet hopeful reality, which leads us to the third thing this passage teaches us about God's faithfulness. Number three, God is faithful through the dark night of the soul. He's faithful through the dark night of the soul. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed, appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So the reality for Mary was that she wouldn't have to endure or I'm sorry, that she would, the reality was that she would have to endure the unthinkable. Every mother views their child as the most precious child in the universe, right? Like in all creation, like every mother, your child, most precious. Mary's child actually was. Mary's child actually is the most precious in all creation, in all the universe. And so she would experience the opposition he would face in this world. And the ultimate piercing of her soul as her, her, her precious son would suffer and die brutal torture and death on a cross. And so the way Jesus is received here by Simeon in the temple would not be the way that the world received Jesus. Like the only red carpet they'd be rolling out for Jesus would be the one he stained with his own blood. 
And he's, he's, he, I imagine Simeon, he's soberly looking Mary right in the eyes as she and Joseph are marveling at the prophecy that he just sang out, right? And so he tells her, it's going to get almost unbearably difficult, Mary. But it's totally worth it. He's preparing her. He said, things are going to get confusing, Mary. You're not going to understand it all, Mary. There's more going on than you can comprehend, Mary. You're going to feel abandoned, Mary. You're going to feel alone, Mary. You're going to feel confused, Mary. But he knows what he's doing, and he's faithful. Even in the darkest of all nights, he's faithful. See, he doesn't always deliver us from the difficulty, but he is faithful to deliver us through it. Let me say that again. God doesn't always deliver us from difficulty. Jesus promised that in this life you will face difficulty, even tribulation. But take heart. Why? I've overcome the world. He's faithful to deliver us through it. Simeon is basically telling Mary here, don't forget in the dark what you heard in the light. Let the revelation of his faithfulness soak deep into your soul because if you're only relying on your cognitive ability to remember, you're not going to. It's got to get in here. Deep in here. I've mentioned before that when I was in college, I had a snowboarding accident that gave me amnesia. I, it, it put me into a four-day coma, and when I came out of it, I, I had a two-minute, um, about a two-minute short-term memory span that lasted for about two weeks. That's real. It was, it was a wild time. I was a relatively new believer at the time, um, but it was one of the solidifying revelations I've ever had in my life. It's one that I've stood on for years and years because I can remember not knowing my name. I can vaguely remember not knowing where I was or who I was. I didn't know what was going on, and I remember that nightmarish fear just gripping me. Like, I'd never known fear like that. Like, I had just lost my mind. I didn't know anything, but even though I didn't know my own name, I knew his name. Like he was he's faithful beyond my own ability. Guys, there's a comfort there. There's a strength. I knew he was with me. I could feel him with me. I knew he was good, and I knew that he would take care of me, and I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew on a deep level that everything was going to be okay. And as the song goes, you were faithful then, and you'll be faithful now because I know that I know. And I want to say when I sing that, I want to be like, I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. That you never fail, and I know that I know you never will. That gets cultivated here. Not just here. It gets right down deep. And so there's a deep faith in his faithfulness that's cultivated in these difficult moments or these difficult seasons, especially when things turn out differently than you want. Or it seems like he's not answering prayers that you originally wanted him to, or the way that you originally wanted to, him to, or in the timing that you originally wanted him to. But as Tim Keller put it, I got a quote for you, Tim Keller says like this, sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. That's, that's, that was, <clears throat> I'm going to read that one again. Sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. 
That's powerful. Like, that's what we pray for. That's, or that's why we pray for his will to be done. That doesn't mean we don't faithfully press into the throne and plead for good things before a good God. It means that we can do so with the confidence that he's so good that he'll reach down deep into the bottom of our prayers and answer it in the most magnificent way that we can't even comprehend in his ways and in his timing, which are the best ways and the real ways that we actually want. Like, praise God! I didn't marry the girl I was praying for God to help me marry. Right? Like, praise God. He reached down to the depths of that prayer, and he gave me my wife, Hannah. But even deeper than that, he gives me himself. And we may not be able to understand it all on this side of heaven, but even that, even in all the specifics, totally worth it because he's faithful. And in the meantime, there is a deep joy available even now, even in the waiting room. Which leads me to the final thing God teaches us here about his faithfulness in Christ. Number four, God is faithful to be all we need and more. We're not just looking forward to something that's going to happen one day. He is present with us. Look at this. I love this story. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. That means she's old. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now look at this. We got this new character here in the story. Not just Simeon. We got this elderly woman who's effectively spent her entire life living night and day in the temple, fasting and praying and awaiting for redemption. Now why is she even mentioned here? What's so significant about this prophetess named Anna? Like first of all, Look at her life. Look at the backdrop of her life. She knows her lineage, which means she's been holding on to the covenant that God made with her people. Okay? That's actually important. Remember, not everybody did this at this time. Like, she clearly cares about God's promises. She doesn't take it for granted. She doesn't just think that it's just like a thing that it's going to happen and who cares. She's a part of a remaining few who held fast to God's promises as her primary hope. And also, she's a widow. But she's not just any widow. She had been a widow for the massive majority of her life. Like She got married as a young virgin, but her husband died after only seven years of marriage. So she lived probably happily married for seven years. She got married probably young, right? And so then she she's, lives with him for seven years, and then she's been a widow for the rest of her life, she's 84 years old. And that entire time, it says that she spent the rest of her life fasting and praying night and day in the temple. That's a long time. That's a serious waiting room. Okay? I mean, she was widowed at a pretty young age, right? And there was likely a lot of pressure on her, especially in that culture, for a godly woman to, like herself to remarry. But she didn't. Why? She was awaiting her ultimate bridegroom. 
I want you to get this. Anna's story here isn't about just a woman waiting for who God would be for her one day, but who he has been to her. Because in the waiting, she was met. She goes around telling everybody about the king and the bridegroom, not just the king who's distant, who just tells her what to do all the time. He's not just our king. He's our bridegroom. That's huge. He's about love and relationship and intimacy. He's about being for us all that we could ever need or ever hope for. And so no, this is, she gets this. The only way that decades-long waiting rooms are even possible is if he's providing all she needed even in the midst of the waiting room. And so she's, she, she wasn't just praying to a king or even a savior. She's praying to a bridegroom. She, wasn't, she was faithfully leaning in day and night to the only one who could truly satisfy her soul, not just through what he would do, but because of who he is. Anna's story reminds us that Christmas is about the king who came not just to save us, but to love us and to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us, and to satisfy our souls. This isn't just about doing, it's about loving, relying, hoping, waiting, not turning to the left or to the right or looking to other lovers or even yourself to be good enough. But looking to him because he's good enough. Because there's only one who is truly faithful to supply all we need and more. Especially on a soul level. Even in the waiting, even in the uncertainty. Augustine put it like this famously. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So the arms that we search for in romance, they're only ultimately filled in Christ's embrace. The security we look for in money is only ultimately found in his presence and his promises. The significance that we crave in the approval of people around you, friends, parents, spouses, social media, it's all ultimately a desire for his voice and that declaration, this is my beloved son or my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Now hear me. God is good, and we're supposed to ask for goodness to break out in our lives and in our families. Like that means pressing in and asking God for good things, to bless us with friends and family and prosperity and healing. That's all very good things. I want to encourage you to press into the throne and pray and ask for those things. But they're just a shadow of the substance that's ultimately only found in Christ alone, in himself. So the truth is, is that we're all in sort of a waiting room for his return, right? Like, that's what this is all about. We're, if you've ever been in a season of waiting, like, you know it's really easy to check out and look for satisfaction elsewhere, right? <laughs> like, if, you get in, if you're in a line at a restaurant or something, I don't know why, I must be hungry. I'm talking about restaurants a lot of time, or today. Um, <clears throat> but you're like, this line's too long. I'm going over here, right? Simeon and Anna's story shows us that God sees us, and he hasn't forgotten us. In fact, waiting well is an important part of Christianity. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Isaiah 30, verse 18, blessed are all those who wait for him. 
Isaiah 49, verse 23, those that wait for me shall not be put to shame. Jesus told parables about a life of waiting with eager expectation, with vigilance, and and with responsible stewardship. The truth is, is that we're all waiting for the second advent, the second coming, the second appearing of Christ when all will be made new and, and, and all evil will come undone and all sorrow will come untrue. This is what Christmas reminds us of, right? Like that ultimate Christmas morning. But the really good news is that the one who makes Christmas so glorious has already come. And he's provided more than we could ever hope for even now. Whether you're in that dark night of the soul or you're experiencing his light and delight and abundance, he's faithful. Now, if you figured this out already and you know how to wait in perfect dependence upon God's faithfulness, this probably doesn't apply to you, right? But if you're anything like me or the rest of humanity, then you may struggle with total dependence or or faith in his faithfulness. So I want to invite the band to come up. And we're going to take a moment here as we close to just close our eyes and to take stock, even of your own soul, your own inner life before the Lord. So if you would, just close your eyes with me. Again, I I don't know what's going on in in your life this morning, but... it may be that you find yourself looking to your own abilities or, or inabilities as the measure of God's faithfulness to you. So when you feel insufficient or, or maybe you feel not good enough, sometimes it can feel like God is either not good enough or, or maybe he's abandoned you or, or, or maybe he's even disappointed in you. Maybe on a subconscious or even a conscious level, you, you wonder if God made a mistake in your life, or maybe you screwed it all up. Maybe you envisioned something different for your life at this point, and you're wondering where you did screw up. Maybe instead of being delighted in you, you think God is disappointed with you. Maybe in some ways you feel sort of stuck in those cycles of disappointment and discontentment. Maybe you find yourself blaming people or circumstances for it all. But ultimately, it's just an attempt to deny that sense of disappointment that you have either in God or yourself. This is often the root of our worry and our lack of dependence and trust. So if any of that applies to you this morning, I just want to encourage you to take a moment and silently confess it to him. Just in your own words, just confess where you've doubted in his sovereign goodness over your life that he's a good shepherd who cares for you and has not abandoned you. Would you just take a moment and pray? close, I want to remind you of his mercy and his grace, and I want to remind you this morning that his mercies are new every morning. The question is, will you receive it? Do you 
believe that his grace is actually sufficient for you? Do you believe that you don't have to fight and claw for your approval or acceptance? And maybe many of you believe that, and you might say it with your head, but you find yourself in a situation often where you don't live by it, and you find yourself acting in a way that's different from believing that he delights in you. So will you receive his delight in you simply because you're his in Christ? Now, if you're not in Christ, this does not apply to you because it cannot apply to you. But if you are, or if you receive him as Lord and Savior this morning, and even to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief, I want you to hear that his grace is enough and his delight in you is full when you place it. your Savior when you place your faith and your hope in Him. So I want you to take a moment now and just silently tell the Lord that you receive His amazing grace, that you receive all of His delight that comes with it. Let Him renew your faith in His faithfulness this morning. Tell Him that you trust in His goodness. Tell Him that you're trusting even in His timing for whatever that is and ask him to help you now finally eyes still closed. I want to take a moment here to think of how God has shown himself to be faithful to you even this year. Maybe it's multiple places, but I want you to just let the Spirit bring to your remembrance how he's been faithful to you. Maybe it's just that he got you here this morning. Maybe that's all you can get. That's enough. In itself, that's enough. And, And then I want you to just specifically thank him for that. God, we we thank you for being so faithful to us, Lord. Father, help us to receive your goodness. Help us to receive your grace, to just receive it with open hearts, to receive your delight, your provision, and all these things, to trust in you. May our hope be ultimately in Christ alone. God, God, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Help us, Lord. Ultimately, God, we thank you for your goodness to us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.